Section 38 of The Road to Mandalay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The Road to Mandalay by Betha Mary Croker. Sergeant Major Ryan. Many months later, on a clear February night, Shafto and Tremahir stood together outside headquarters. Somewhere in France, anxiously observing the signs in the sky, Shafto, a machine-gun officer attached to the blanks, had been granted 24 hours leave and made a muddy and dangerous journey of 15 miles to visit his old school fellow, now on the staff of a general commanding division. He was challenged, and so was his companion. Their faces expressed the long strain of a terrible war. Both looked years older than their actual age, for, like the sons and daughters of the worshippers of Moloch, they had passed through the fire. Shafko was fine-drawn to leanness. Heavy lines were scored on his forehead. He had twice been wounded, had taken part in desperate fighting, witnessed many harrowing sights, and lost many friends. The chill air was full of sounds, a continuous rolling of wheels, rumbling of guns, and the distant scream of a shell. There goes a signal to lengthen the German range, remarked Shaftu. That's right, for they often show up lights that mean nothing. Look at that aeroplane of ours dropping red stars over the Bosch's first line of trenches. I suppose the lines are fairly close. By Jove, you may say so. The men can shout across at one another but the trenches are a good four miles from where we stand. As he concluded, a star shell broke and lit up a vast expanse of gleaming mud. To the rolling and rumbling was now added a faraway sound of tramping feet and song. Here they come, exclaimed Trema here. Back to billets, they changed at six o'clock but it's heavy going, mostly wading in slosh. The marching came nearer and nearer, also the sound of singing and mouth organs. Michigan, said Shaftu, is a favorite. Poor old Tipperary is down and out. Presently the force, which had been relieved, muddy to the waist, but splendidly cheerful, splashed into the great courtyard. Irish, explained Trema here, magnificent fellows, born fighters. They watched the men as they fell out and scattered to their quarters in outhouses, barns and offices, and then Shaftu and his friends made their way into the battered old chateau and temporary orderly room, once a lady's boudoir. It still exhibited stripes of artistic wallpaper, a cracked mirror, a beautiful Louis the Fourteenth K 
cabinet stacked with papers, a few rude chairs, a couple of wooden tables. Presently, a sergeant major came in to report. A fine stalwart fellow with a heavy black mustache and, in spite of his muddy waders, an air of complete self-possession. Having saluted and handed over his papers, his quick blue eyes rested on Shaftu. He started, saluted, and said, I beg your pardon, Mr. Shaftu, sir, but I see you don't know me. Well, no, I can't say that I do, replied Shaftu, casting his mind over the last 18 months. Well, of course, sir, I'm entirely different to what ye may remember in Rangoon. What? You don't mean to say? The late Pon G nodded with emphasis. I'm now Sergeant Major Ryan in the 2nd Battalion of the Old Regiment. Then suddenly stepping back and lowering his voice, he added, They think I'm me brother, sure. I never had one, and how is yourself, sir? All right, I'm a machine gun officer attached to the blanks. And the young lady? She's a Red Cross nurse at Reun. I saw her three months ago. When next you meet, will you give her my humble respects and tell her I've not forgotten her invitation and I'm coming to the wedding? And no one will be more welcome. You have our address. I'm told you've been in some heavy fighting. Well, yes, sir. At Pries, we lost 18 of our officers. Oh, it was a cruel bad mix-up. Still and all, the Boches were given their tea in a mug. After our last charge, you'd see them going every way like crows in a storm. Our guns are grand. As for them, aeroplanes, they do all but speak, and the tanks are wonders. God bless them. You have been wounded? Only just a cat's scratch. The German wire is mighty stiff, and there's six-inch spikes. Well, since we were last together, sir, you and I have been through a strange time and seen sights as we can't talk about. One thing is sure, we'll worry through all right. Oh, yes, we shall. And give the Boches something to think about. Then suddenly opening of a distant door released a roar of voices singing, Take me back to Blighty, a rousing demand which instantly recalled the sergeant major to his duty. Well, sir, he said, I must be moving, so I'll wish you goodbye and best of luck. The same to you, Ryan. You'll let us have a line to say how you get on, won't you? Shafto held out his hand. Ryan gave it a hard, convulsive squeeze and in another moment the stalwart Irishman had saluted and tramped forth. An old friend, I see, remarked Tremahir. Yes, I knew him in Burma. He's a tip-top non-com and has the DCM 
and the French cross. He worked miracles when, the, when his officers were killed at priests. They offered him a commission, but he wouldn't take it. The men love him, though he has some funny fads, never touches meat, and sings queer outlandish chants. But he's the splendid sort of fellow who was born for this war, full of heroic qualities and as hard as a bag of nails. I suppose his regiment was in Rangoon. Not in my time, replied Shaftu. He hesitated for a moment and then added, If I were to tell you how I came across that Irish sergeant major, you'd say I was pulling your leg. Oh, go on then, pull away. When I first met him, he was a Burmese priest with a shorn head, yellow robe, and begging bowl. Come, I say, Douglas, this is a bit too much. But it's a fact. He had been a soldier for six or seven years, got a bad stroke in the jungle, was taken in by Burmans, and was for seven years a pongee. When the war broke out, he flung off his yellow robe, paid his passage to England, and is here, as you see, in his element. It's amazing, incredible, but incredible things come off nowadays, Shaftu nodded. If he gets through this, do you suppose he will return to his monastery? Never. It is his fixed intention to go to Ireland. He has some money and hopes to settle down on his own little farm. I'm afraid he's some way off that yet. In the meanwhile, he is seeing a good bit of life and death, mentally added Shaftu. I say, exclaimed Trem here, glancing at his wristwatch, it's time for our dinner. Come on. In the autumn of the same year, Shaftu, who had again been severely wounded, was granted a month's leave, and he and Sophie were married. It was the usual war wedding. No bridesmaids and no reception. Among the friends welcome at the church were the Gregories, Tebbs, Larchers, McNabs, Mrs. Malone, Mr. Hodden, and the Tremahirs. Captain Tremahir supported his friend as best man. One specially bidden guest was absent from the gathering. He lay beneath a black wooden cross nearby to Guinchy, where gallant Irish regiments had immortalized their colors. Alas, Sergeant Major Michael Ryan was among the missing. To the unspeakable grief of his comrades, he had gone west, but not to Ireland. End of section 38. End of the Road to Mandalay by Betha Mary Croker.